When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we speak with Scott McDonald of the band The Meeting Places. We talk about how he gets his unique shoegazy guitar sound. We also talk about some musical influences and we find out how a quartet of guitarists became an actual band with drums and bass and a singer and everything. Give them a follow at the underscore meeting underscore places on Instagram, at meeting places on Twitter, and the meeting places on Facebook. Look for the new EP really soon at themeetingplaces.bandcamp.com. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram, Performance Anxiety on Facebook. Please, please rate and review us on all platforms. It really helps us out. And while you're at it, you can pick up some merch like shirts, phone cases, or shower curtains at performanceanx.threadless.com. Give this one a listen. It's Scott McDonald of The Meeting Places. Hey, this is Scott McDonald. You're listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast with Mark Shea. And I'm... Oh, wait. I messed up. I already said I'm Scott. This is Scott McDonald from The Meeting Places, and you're listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast with Mark Shea. Ta-da! And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm out in D.C., but uh, okay. I'm not really... I like... I love the Nationals. Um, Wizards are all right. I like the Caps. Never... Mm-hmm. I've never been a Redskins fan. I grew up... I, I was born in Texas, and I grew up all up and down the East Coast. So okay. I was a cowboy fan forever until Jerry Jones bought the team. And then I was, I, I kind of hung in there for as long as I could. But once he uh, hired Barry Switzer, I was out. So, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of dropped that and started watching college football. And um, my brother went to Alabama and I, I moved down to Alabama oh, for like wow. eight years. Yeah. yeah so legacy. legacy school for football. Oh, yeah. Well, he went he went there in the late 90s when they were garbage. They were just, I mean, they, they were terrible. You know, if if we made the SEC playoff, the SEC championship, it was a blessing. Yeah. So the past, uh, the past few years have been wonderful because I became a huge fan because I used to go to all the games with him. So mm-hmm. I became an enormous fan. Of it. So 
Thank you again for coming on. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know you guys, uh, the meeting places are in the middle of recording a new EP, right? Yeah, we just finished mixing, and so we'll be mastering it this the middle of this week, and then hopefully that'll be it. I mean, mastering is usually the easiest, like you're at the finish line, and everything already sounds good, so there's no... Hopefully there's no, um, there's nothing else that needs to be done, but it all sounds really, really good. So it should be wrapped up this week. And then from there, we'll just have to decide on when we're actually going to be releasing it. And then there's possibility of having, um, a label do some vinyl and oh wow, sort of getting, I mean, we have an idea of what we want to do and how we sort of want to push it out there. I mean, just very, just a simple way is like, you know, maybe having it on Bandcamp and then just pushing it out through the normal channels and, like we all have friends who are in bands or work and like uh, know people from different publications from over the years, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Just don't, <laughs> just don't use pledge music. Yeah. We're <laughs> just uh, putting it out there and just hope people, yeah, people really like it. It's been a long time since we've released something. So we're totally excited. Yeah. I wanted, I want, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Your first album came out in 2003. Find yeah. along the way. I love that album. I, it's funny. I, I was uh, I found that album through Pandora. Oh, that's funny. That happens quite a bit. We get that quite a bit. Like people find out about us through, you know, we're just attached to some sort of channel on like a streaming station. Yeah. I One of my favorite bands of all time is Verve. Oh, yeah. And we're so, all huge Verve fans. Oh, so yeah. So I put Verve in as a channel on Pandora and you guys came up. A Shoreline Dream came up. Uh, the Shore oh, cool. came up. A whole bunch of other bands. And I was these guys are really good. So I, I picked up the album and I loved it because it, it's just got this shoegazy quality that just, you just didn't hear much anymore. Yeah. Until, until I started going through Pandora and then I realized there's a, a new crop of bands doing shoegaze style stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you guys came out with your second album oh, what, three years later, three, four years later. Yeah. Number Dave's. That's right. Now that, that album went a little heavier. There's a little, the guitars are not as just... It's shooting. kind of a different sound. Yeah. yeah. It's something we tried, and I don't think it's something that we all would agree on in the band, that we look back and think like, oh, this is like super great, amazing. Like, we, I think we all, we could have gone back and done things a little bit differently, but at the same time, like, you have to try, if you have like a gut feeling, you're like, you know, maybe I don't want to have a completely, like massive atmospheric washed out noisy guitar on every single track let's try doing things differently and yeah put songs together differently and we tried it and yeah so you you guys <laughs> as a whole you guys weren't really happy with with the results then i guess no man i i, I thought it was a neat progression to be honest because it, it it was some a of it i different. really like i think still holds up well like i really like um love like the movies like i love that song i love playing that song live we don't get the same kind of attention we do for the first record like people from you know different countries, they will email us and send us messages like, "Oh, I love your first album," and nobody mentions the second album. Really? Ever. Oh my I'm gosh! I like the second album. In fact, um, 
there's a song I think the, that's called the Quiet Appreciation. Maybe that people have. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and maybe they don't know about it. I don't know. Let's sure, try to think positive. But if you have a song of Sink Into Stone. That's a really, really heavy one. We actually play that one live still. Like the last in the last year, we played some, we played a few shows, and we that always manages to, to be on our set list. That is a great song. It's so I hear so much My Bloody Valentine in that song, and I, mm-hmm. and, and they're one of my favorite bands. So yeah, hearing, same here. hearing that influence, I, I love it. I, the, the chord phrasings, everything is just so reminiscent. So obviously, cool. My Bloody Valentine is an influence. Um, yeah. Also hear a little bit of like of bands like Slow Dive and for sure, absolutely. And Moose. Yeah, we're all huge Moose fans. The early Moose stuff is like some of the most underappreciated. I don't know, if like kids in, you know, if you're like in your late teens or even up to your late twenties, like how many people really know about those sort of first three Moose EPs? Even the first album, which is popular but still is really really good. Yeah, like that's such an underappreciated, amazing band of that era and. You know, they just never hit it off over in the United States. They never toured. Like, they might have done some small East Coast tour stuff with, like, Cocktail Twins, but they just didn't do anything. And they're on major labels. That stuff is – I love it. It's amazing. It really is. And it really kind of it, – it's one of the, the touchstones, I think, for a lot of bands that came, even even contemporaries of, of Moose, like Verve. And mm-hmm. I, I think they really – a lot of bands drew from Moose and uh, in, in turn influenced a lot of bands like you guys. Yeah, we're all big Moose fans. I mean, they were just good at creating a mood. It wasn't just, I mean, they were noisy and they have like their feedback and washed out songs, but they could also do, they could sort of strip things down and still sort of create like a very sort of that isolated mood and then it would switch to something else and then you'd have a more poppy song and they just, I think just knew how to put songs together and they had, they were just a different band, you know? Yeah. One of the, the things that I, I hear, I'm trying to, yeah, I guess, I guess I hear it all on both albums is, is the, the the slight wall of feedback that comes back. That's one of my favorite things about shoegaze type of, of music. But yeah. every time I try to do something like that, it just goes insane and uncontrolled. <laughs> I have no idea. How do you control the feedback so well? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I played in a bunch of bands when I was younger. Like, they're all shoegaze bands. And um, I've kind of used a very similar setup. Like I just use like digital reverb coming out of racks and I use a lot of reverb. And so depending on what kind of like fuzz pedal or distortion you're using or what you want to do, like you don't need to use a lot of it. And then that sort of helps the, the reverb sort of helps shape it. But, um, I I mean, adding like using different effects, like a chorus or something can, can give you like different color and that can affect the distortion. So it's just kind of been like years messing around with stuff like as simple as like a boss distortion, which I use all the time when I was like a teenager, my playing in my first band and, or like a big muff. And then now I use, I've been using a Roger Mayer. Um, uh, what's it called? It's called a mongoose. It's like an old purple. It's like a very heavy dark fuzz, almost like a metal 
pedal, but not metal. It's just very heavy, but the distortion sounds separated. It's not like where you click on a big muff or a rat and it's just like, whoosh, and it's like a, an instant wash and you might not be able to control it as well, depending on like your guitar and your pickups. Okay. So it's just those Roger Mayer pedals. It's really easy to control your feedback. If you're trying, if you're trying to do that, you can just sort of adjust it with the volume knob and then it's not like instantly in your face, kind of like when you're listening to a Jesus and Mary Chain track. Yeah, that's just kind of always been our, our sound with the meeting places. We're just this really big atmosphere, wall of sound. Well, and I noticed uh, with with the progression from the first album to the second, the vocals also seem to come up a little bit in the mix. Um, is that something you're going to – that continues on to the EP? Um, I think – I don't think it'll be like way out in front. We didn't, no, it'll, it'll be somewhere – it'll be like a nice balance. Like we want to have – we want the whole song to sound really, really big and massive where you can sort of hear everything, but it's not like where things are just really separated. Okay. If you're listening to like a band that has really good separation, but also can kind of have a big sound, like you were listening to that first Interpol record. Yeah. So it's a great record that has like a really, really good overall sound, but it's very separated, but it also still has this cohesive and vocals are kind of on the top, but they just have a big sound. All right, so I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of the band. Uh, sure. Now, you guys formed in 2001, and it's you. Uh, so you're Scott McDonald. You're on the guitar. Yeah. There's also Chase Harris, who's on guitar, Dean Yoshihara, who's on guitar, and Arthur Chan, who's on guitar. You're all, all four guitarists to start off yeah, with, right? Yeah, that's kind of how we all met. Like, we were all guitar players. And then um, Dean is the only one who can play drums. Like, Dean can play drums and play guitar. <laughs> So Dean's our drummer, and then like Arthur can play a bunch of instruments. So Arthur played bass, and then you know Chase is a singer songwriter. Like he's our vocalist, so he already had a lot of stuff put together. And I already sort of had like a sound of what I wanted to do or what I was kind of. We just tried it out. I'm like I have sort of the sound that I that I've been using, and it would work good if we sort of if we tried to mix it in with more of like these songs where we can have it like uh, you know not totally clean, but just trying something out because I don't think they'd ever really played or heard with been in a band with anything like that. So it just, we just kind of stuck with it and liked it and we're getting good responses. And that was just kind of our sound going forward. Everyone, when we're in the studio or we're working on stuff, like I get comments and like feedback all the time, like, Oh, we should try this or this, this. And then we try it or we do stuff in the studio. It could be, you know, we could have stuff already laid down and then Arthur will come in with something for, guitar the hill will have some sort of idea or chase so everyone is constantly everyone always has that input so okay, and that, it's a good thing to have yeah yeah and if everyone is familiar with the guitar then they can actually mm-hmm. speak intelligently to it not just try to get some vague notion across i guess right so how did you guys actually meet up and start the band uh well i've known arthur since high school and then so arthur and i have kind of always been on the same page with music and you know he and i got into like shoegaze and sort of like later high school and you know like the band you're talking about like slow dive and my bloody valentine and verb and like lush just all that stuff that was coming over from england and you know even some of the stateside stuff like the slumberland records bands um like lilies and then you know like yola tangle just all kinds of great stuff that's going on and then so arthur had a former girlfriend who was roommates with chase's wife and so they ended up meeting at some point right so he was like, oh, you should meet my boyfriend. Like, he, I don't know about these bands you're talking about, but um, <laughs> I, think my, I think my boyfriend really likes that stuff. Like, it sounds familiar. So, and they're like, no, nobody really listens to that stuff around here. Cause, like, we all, 
kind of grew up and were living in the South Bay at that time, which is, you know, like Redondo Beach, Hermosa, Manhattan, just sort of like the beach cities of L.A. County. Okay. It's true. Like I grew up and like no one's listening to that kind of stuff. It's like very, very hard to find people like that. And so they met and they're like, oh, yeah, I totally listened to this band. Oh, you like Soda? Oh, me too. Yeah. Like I saw them at the Roxy, blah, 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 this year. And so they totally hit it off. And then Arthur's like, oh, well, I have my friend Scott and he's played in these bands and these bands and he's not doing anything now. So maybe we should all get together and play. And um, Chase and Dean went to University of Arizona together. And so they knew each other and they played a little bit in a band, I believe. I don't remember the name of it, but so it all just kind of worked out like, Oh, I know this person who does this. Would be another like a lead guitar player, guitar player. Oh, I know this drummer. It's like, perfect. And all Hopefully you, it doesn't suck when we get together. <laughs> <laughs> and all your musical tastes kind of meshed really well. So that yeah. that that helps out. So we were all on the same page, and then we started playing, and it just like it just, just hit it off. It clicked really, really easily. It was like a very fast progression putting together songs because Chase already had stuff, and we just built the sound around it. And then within like the first year, we were just. It, yeah, we were playing shows and then had some labels. We sent out like demos and then labels came back to us. So it was really fun. Was music something that you had studied or was it just a hobby? No, no it was a hobby. Like, um, yeah, I was just really, really into a lot of shoegaze bands. And then I found out about like the first band I played in. Actually, both the first and second band I both played in. Like I found out about them because I was fans of them and I would end up writing them because this is like pre-internet. So this is like, you know, and so I would write them and then I'd be correspond. I'd go to the shows and I ended up joining these bands. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's awesome. I know. I was like, oh, whoa, this is like (laughs) heavy, but this is going to be really, really fun and interesting. So it was like, you know, getting to learn and play with like the people that you admire the most. So that was really, I was very, very, very lucky and fortunate. Is that how you ended up? Uh, playing with Brad Laner? Yeah, that too. Like that, that was like a total random thing where I had, I was, I just moved back from Arizona. I was playing in his band, Allison's Halo for a little bit. And they have some stuff, um, on like independent project records. And so I came back and I was at no life records in LA, which is not there anymore, but I had an ad out and I used to list medicine on all my ads. Cause I'm a massive fan of medicine. Like the buried life is one of my favorite records. Oh. And uh, yeah, I just think they're incredible. I think he's a, he's a genius. So he answered the ad, but I didn't listen to medicine. He's like, Hey, I saw your ad. Like, uh, this is Brad. Like, well, I want to go, you should come make some noise. And I've got this new project and da da da. Oh, wow. He's like, I saw you didn't list medicine on your ad. Like why? And I'm like, uh, I promise you I'm a huge fan of yours. Like, <laughs> but like no one responds to me when I, when I list like medicine or stuff that's, you know, I don't know, maybe too unnoisy or uncomfortable for people. Yeah. <laughs> or I was listening more like 4AD creation bands and, Oh yeah. Yeah. But it worked out. That was like, yeah, that was pretty, that was very scary at first. Um, it took a little imagine. practice to be like, oh, I'm working. I get to be in a band with one of, another one of my heroes. And yeah, and, that was really fun. Yeah, and, and he's like a, a major force in the, in the style that you like. I mean, medicine is huge. Yeah, he's done so much. Major Gravity. I love Major Gravity. So you guys so you guys put your first album out in 2003. And mm-hmm. then 2006 was the second one that nobody likes. So <laughs> then, yeah. then you, you guys haven't put anything out. 
since then, and you're and now you're working on an EP. What, yeah. is, is this like a My Bloody Valentine inspired hiatus? Like, a, nope. no, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, so after the second record came out, we had got an opportunity to go play a couple shows in Taiwan, and at that point, I was kind of like really burnt out. Um, and so I left the band for a while and we, they weren't really playing and then they started kind of picked it up and started playing again. And then, um, I don't think they were really, I think they were just playing shows. There was no recorded material, no, no new material. And then, um, I'm trying to think when this happened, the second, so like the last song that we had, the last song we actually recorded that was new was on, it's on our band camp and it's kind of a demo still. It's called uh, millions. like the last thing we recorded that's not like that hasn't been like officially released okay that's something that still could possibly be released uh, between that it's kind of a blur of just people getting married and like having kids <laughs> and then i ended up rejoining again and then we're playing shows and you know it's hard when you have like kids in your careers to really get stuff going and you have a lot of songs going because there's just so much there's so much going on in our schedules and there's cancellations and people need to attend to things in their lives. And that's obviously a priority. Yeah. And so after a while, I was like, well, doing an album might take a long time, even though like that's the ultimate goal. But why do we don't have to do that? We can just do one tracks or we can do EPs or we can do however we want. But we should get stuff out there because it's been so long and it'll kind of like hit the reset button for us. And so and we can see if people will like it. And that's kind of where we're at right now. It's like we we had a bunch of songs that we we're excited about. Let's, oh, let's put these out. Like, let's get them recorded and make See what happens, yeah. So you guys were still basically in touch with each other from yeah. six to through eighteen, just mm-hmm. and maybe you know demoing songs, but not necessarily getting together to play shows or or, or record anything in particular. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So what yeah. what was the uh, impetus to get together now and and say, hey, all right, this is the time. I've got. We've, we've all got time now. Um, I think, I think we just felt like we had a bunch of stuff that we still wanted to do together. And so we actually got back together. I want to say a couple of year, years ago. And then we had like a, we had like a new, like sort of a good studio situation we could use with Dean's work. And I think it was just more, we were, we wanted to release something and do something. And we were more like focused. Whereas after that second record, it was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I wanted to just do, do music anymore. I was pretty burnt out. Like I'd play in a bunch of bands. I was like, well, then maybe this isn't for me or maybe I'll try playing with some other people or do my own thing or, but I just sort of got wrapped up into not wanting to be in a band anymore and just take a break. Uh, so you, burnout really did set in then. <laughs> it was real. It was actual burnout. It wasn't just, Oh yeah, I really don't feel like doing it. It was actual. You were tired of it. Yeah. And I think like the, the second record might have a little bit to do with it. Like I was kind of bummed out. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done this instead. Like I should have done this or this. But at the time, I didn't want to do that. I want. I, I knew what I really wanted to do. I've never been like hesitant as far as what I want to do musically or what I want to bring to the table. So it's just, you know, a, a learning experience, I guess. 
Would you guys think about redoing any of this stuff that you maybe that you really liked on on uh, no. days? No. No, I think you just leave it as it is. Okay. And then a couple of those, like a couple of those songs, we play live all the time because we really like them. Like you said, like we play, um, we play Love Like the Movies, and then we play um, Sink Into Stone. Well, those are my two favorites off the album. Um, there was one that we, I'm trying to think of the other one that we used to play quite a bit. I forget. Uh, well, well, I know you've got yeah on that on that second album, like you said, it's it, there were some departures. Like you have some keyboards and some female uh, background vocals on it, like on. Until yeah. it's gone, and mm-hmm. so is—is is that something that's that's just done and over with? That was an experiment, or is it going to be more of of uh, additional musicians and on the EP? EP, there's no additional mu- musicians. It's it's really it's I would say it's pretty straightforward. It sounds like what we sound like live. It's closer to the first record. It's just sort of a more evolved version of us it just sounds i just think it's a better version of the first record oh it's wow. it's really massive if you like that sort of if, i mean it just sounds like what we sound like just sort of capturing that sort of chaos when we play live or we're, we're rehearsing it's just this, you know it's like really atmospheric and there's a ton of reverb and then we hit pedals and it gets noisy and there's vocal melodies and there's like big you know sort of a soaring lead and it's just kind of it's just basically what we what we do. We didn't really overthink anything. I mean, we're not opposed to bringing in our, you know, trying piano or any sort of overdubs like that, like we did with Numbered Days, but for this, we just, I think we wanted to, we just knew what we wanted to do and get it done quickly without really, really rushing it. So how but many, we always think about those things. Like, those things always come up in conversations. Yeah. Is it, so, yeah. How long is the EP going to be? A, a five, six songs? Like four, like four songs. Four, oh, awesome. A good mm-hmm. true EP. Yeah, <laughs> I was like these, these guys. We've got this EP coming out, and it's like seven or eight songs. That's an album. That's an album. Yeah, I mean, come on. I think technically, I don't know if seven songs is an album, but I know that eight songs is definitely an album. It's gotta be. Yeah. I don't. I don't care if it's it's a different version of a song. It's it's an album. Just to say it's an yeah. album. I'd like to go more into the the gear. Has the gear that you've used over the years changed a whole lot? Um, I know. Uh, I was speaking with uh, Kelly Scott from Failure recently. And oh, cool! It, yeah, Ellie, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge Failure fan, and uh, it, Ken and and Greg uh, from the band, the uh, guitarist and bassist, recently got rid of a lot of their gear because the company that they were using did a whole bunch of updates, and they can put they can put their sounds into um, into a, a board or something instead of having all these different racks and, and stuff, they would actually be able to do it all in, in one unit. So they got yeah. rid of a bunch of their stuff and, you know, and it, they were able to expand their sound and all. Do you have, has your gear changed a whole lot recently uh, or, or actually throughout the years um, with, with the advent of, of emulators and things like that? No, as far as like the live stuff, like the sounds where we record, like I, like, like me personally, I've used sort of the same sort of digital reverb rack like since day one. Like I've used an Alesis Quadriverb forever. Ah, like I, I love that. I've got one of those. And so like the first band I played in, um, my buddy Jerry, he had all these crazy, just amazing programs. And um, yeah, he was like, oh, like I want you to use something like this and this for these songs. And so he sort of like gave me the tutorial and was like, this is what you need, you know, to play in this band. And this will give you more reverb. And it was like a very, like at that time there were reverb pedals, but they were all very, very weak and they weren't 
there was no richness or really good decay. They would all feed back really quickly. Like they were just pointless to me. And so like the, the Alesis was like having these, like having someone who's like, here, use, use something like this. And this is how we do our sound. And then over the years I just would tweak it. And then in certain bands I would still use it, but I would use like, you know, much less reverb in a band like I say Red Laner. And even with Alison's Halo, like we were more, it was like less of that really like long, expansive sort of decay and more like shorter reverbs and lots of maybe more delay, but I've used it forever. Like I have a, I always have like a backup and, and like as far as fuzz pedals, like I've tried a bunch of different over the years. I've used different pedals. Chase has a ton of pedals. He, he's always trying new things and messing around with different amps. That's pretty much it. Like there's no real, like I've used almost like an identical setup, like throughout my entire life. Oh, wow. Well, I'm like, I've been using Mongoose for when did I start using that? I started using it on the second record, and I've had it since then. Oh, and I still use it, and then I don't really use pedals. Like I have a tuner, and sometimes I'll use an EQ pedal. Um, that's pretty much it. It's more just like I'm playing lots of reverb, and it's either distorted or it's not. Okay. <laughs> that, well, that, it works because I love this sound, and it's it's in fact it's kind of limiting in a way. But at the same time, once I start doing it, I'm like, well, I I have to. I haven't really thought of something else I wanted to hear differently. I mean, there's, there's different things I think you can do. Like I've tried going the pedal route and I didn't really like that at all. No, no. It just wasn't that for me. Well, I, now I don't play professionally. I just, I just play in, in my front room here and, and on. It took me forever to figure out that Nick McCabe used an Alesis Quadriverb. And yeah. I went and I found one on eBay and I bought it. And I, that, I, I keep it on like two settings just because it, it's, it gets that that sound off their first album, A Storm in Heaven. And yeah. it's incredible. And I, I, I've got one distortion pedal and I've, I've got a, a Wawa and my Alesis and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So I've, I have my Proco Rat and that gets my nasty, nasty distortion in if I want to just go straight distortion. But the only people yeah. who end up getting to hear it are my kids and my wife. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but now as far as guitars, I know with shoegaze bands, it's, it's always, the the, uh, the guitars are always big. Everybody wants the Jazzmaster, the or something like that. What mm-hmm. what kind of guitar do you use? Yeah, for um, I've been using mostly Fender Jazzmasters the last I would say ten, fifteen years. In the past, I've had a Jaguar and I had a Rickenbacker for a while, oh. which sound great, but they don't really have the punch that Fenders. It's like you have to add. Um, I had to like buy an EQ pedal to sort of give it this sort of match levels with everybody else. Or if I wanted to switch from a jazz master between songs, if I had a different tuning or something, and I went, if I plugged in my, my Rickenbacker after playing a jazz master, I had to have a specific, you know, setting like the EQ pedal. I had it designed just so it will keep me at that same level because it just doesn't have the punch that say like a, a Gibson or a Fender does. Ah, okay. So there really is something to the type of guitar you're using for this type of music. Yeah absolutely the most important thing like what kind of guitar you're going to use what kind of pickups are you using kind of all starts there and then your effects are sort of like the secondary thing of what do you have in mind like what kind of sound do you want and how do you do it and yeah so the ep that you're working on now are you guys self-producing that or is that uh okay because okay, okay, you guys did work with aaron espinoza in the past who produced yeah. uh, elliot smith and the, the breeders i think yeah he's done some stuff with the breeders and then um yeah, Aaron's a really, really cool guy. We almost, we would love to go back and record with him again, but it's sort of, it's more of like a logistical thing. It's more like it's, it's kind of far for all of us. Like we're all 
sort of spread out now, like throughout the South Bay and I'm in Long Beach. Arthur's in Malibu. Dean is close to me. He's in like Westminster, which is just, you know, east of me, but we'll see. Yeah. Aaron is a fun guy. He's really fun to record with and he's just really knowledgeable about, um, just certain like recording techniques and things to do. Cause you know, like as, as like the type of music we play, we get very stuck in this sort of mindset of how we want things to sound. He's like, well, what if you did this or this or tried this? And yeah, that's kind of like on the first record, like an example would be, um, I'm trying to think of the song. I think I'm like blanking on it. So we did this song and it's very like slow and hushed and it has brush drums and it still sort of has that atmospheric guitar. Okay. This is embarrassing. No. Anyway, <laughs> it's been, it's, been it's several years. <laughs> yeah. I don't like just put on the CD all the time, but I'm thinking like, Oh, what is the song? But that song was a very faster, straight ahead, noisy song. And we came in then one day and then we were just like, we have to, we should do, we have to do something differently because everything just kind of sounds like the same. Okay. And then he was very helpful with that. And so that turned out to be like, you know, one of our, our favorite pieces on the album. It's so different, but it still achieves that atmosphere. So do you guys get a chance to go out and tour very much? Uh, or did you with the first two albums? No, we, like when we started doing this, we were already like sort of well into our career. So it wasn't really like feasible and we weren't really that interested in touring. I mean, we did some things in San Francisco, like we played noise pop. And we played South by Southwest down in Austin a couple times. Oh, cool. Um, we played in San Diego and we played in Tucson once. We got invited to play there with American Analog Set. Oh, nice. That was really fun. But we haven't really toured. So have you gotten a chance to play with any of the uh, bands that influenced you? Oh, uh, no. Oh, man. Oh, no. Actually, no, we did. We played a show. We played a show with Chapter House. Chapter House did a reunion thing like way before, not way before, but when was this? This might have been like 2008. So Chapter House did a bunch of shows in the United States and we opened for Chapter House and we played with Ulrich Schnauss and we're like fans. Oh, wow. We're like huge fans of both those people. That's and like, you know, like those first Chapter House EPs and the first record, like I love that stuff. And Ulrich Schnauss we're all big fans of. So that was a really fun night. So with, with Shoegaze being such a, a dense type of music, do you guys have to do anything weird uh, in the studio to produce, maybe to get some of the sounds. I've, I've talked to a bunch of uh, musicians in the past. That a lot of them are doing weird crap. Like I, I spoke with uh, uh, Black Rumble Motorcycle Club and yeah. Peter Hayes was telling me that he had, he's, he stuck his head in a piano to get a, 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 a certain type of reverb sound he wanted mm-hmm. in his, on his vocals. And then he got really pissed off because he just, realized the engineer told him all, all we got to do is turn your reverb up to this setting and when you, it'll be the exact same thing when you're live. <laughs> so he got kind of pissed off because he, he sat there and sang an entire song with his head stuck in the piano. Um, as far as our, our general, like our base, I don't want to call it basic sound. Our, our sound, we don't really have to do anything special or crafted. We just sort of play live. And then with vocals, it's we just try different things that might be a little bit different or that might sit well within the mix. Okay. I think that probably that's... You know, so when someone's mixing the album, we sort of give an idea about kind of how we want it to sound and we give them a little bit of free reign to try something, but like the guitars and the bass and the drums, same thing with the drums. Like we mess around with some effects with the drums, but it's pretty straightforward. Like we just have this, like we already have the sound going into it. And so we capture that, like we're playing live and we record it. And then we just add in those other elements. Yeah. We, it's more, it's more like we're just trying to find a good, 
vocal mix and drum mix that mixes well with the guitars, that big guitar sound. Okay, because you guys know what your guitar wants, what you want your guitar to sound like. So. Yeah, we're kind of like slaves to that sound. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, in a way, it can be limiting, but also, in a way, it, it puts you in parameters that you know you have to work in. So it's like, well, let's try and find... We know it's going to sound like this most of the songs, so let's try and find a sound or some sort of idea that might work differently. It kind of forces you to work in a smaller box. Yeah, it, it actually, I think it probably makes you a little more creative... Because, it makes you more focused, yeah. Yeah, because you're setting limits. You can't have, you can't be creative if if you don't have limits. Totally, I totally agree. And there's a lot of people that would disagree. Be like, oh, well, I just want to, you know, I, I want all the time I need to do this and this. It's like when you have limits, then creatively, you know, you're up against, you're up against something where you know you want it to be good, so you have to do your best and work harder to do that. And yeah. even if you if you come up at like you know 99, percent it's going to still sound great. So, yeah, I'm a big component, like, proponent of that. Yeah, because if, if you don't have a, a, a deadline or something that you have to work towards, you'll just flounder forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I know I've, I've taken up a bunch of your time today, but uh, where can people find the band? How can they follow you guys and get more news when the EP comes out and, and follow the progress? Yeah, I mean, they can find us on Bandcamp and just type in the meeting, search the meeting places like bandcamp.com backslash meeting places. They could find us on Facebook the same way. We do most of our communications through Facebook and then Instagram. It's like the underscore meeting underscore places. Okay. So that's how we've been updating people. Um, you can buy the CDs on, at the Words on Music website. You just type in Words on Music in the meeting places. I don't know the exact URL, but that's that's where you can still find our music. Oh, perfect. And it's and, definitely yeah. recommended. Yeah, so when we um we actually have a release date and a sort of a plan on how we want to roll this out, it'll all be through like Instagram and Facebook and probably do some email blast stuff, but yeah, so we're almost there. Awesome. I, well, I'm really excited. That's one of the reasons I reached out to you because I, I, I saw a Facebook post saying that you guys have been working on this EP and it was almost done, yeah. so I, I really wanted to know more about it and uh, cool. and, and get some... get the, the word out to the people who listen to this show who might like the genre and, and let them know that you guys are still kicking around throwing out making some more noise and hopefully we'll have something out real soon yeah it'll, it'll be out real soon awesome. so yeah we're excited about it thank you Scott for coming on I really sure. appreciate it thank you for having me It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.